That was Chopin's prelude number 16 in B-flat minor. We will finish with a Bach prelude, like the last time, in the same key. And it's a little intellectual exercise in appreciating the differences between romantic and classical. Welcome to podcast number 43. Today we are going to visit three beautiful towns on the Salento Peninsula, which is the part of the peninsula that's of Italy that sticks down, and you might call it the the, the heel of the high heel. On Sunday, we started our trip by having lunch at Bolina Ristorante in Tricasse, Porto. Tricasse is down uh, on south from Lecce, along the ocean. And then later, we drove to Tricasse itself and walked around. Tricasse, Porto just means the port of Tricasse. The port is small and quite lovely, and we found the restaurant. Uh, not much to look at from the outside, but it offered some really nice food. And, and when we got down on the terrace, it was quite lovely overlooking the water of the, of the, of the harbor. <clears throat> the restaurant itself is Greek. Everything that is uh, tablecloth, napkins, etc., is blue and white, which, are, of course, are the colors of the Greek flag. Inside, the walls are covered with models and pictures of sailboats. Obviously, the owner does not limit himself uh, or herself to just cooking or serving. We had uh, fried anchovies, uh, which were very lightly breaded, flash fried, and with just a wedge of lemon on the side. That was quite tasty. Not oily, uh, very delicate in flavor. Frito misto, mixed fried things, in this case, calamari and shrimp, which were quite delicate and crispy with a mild seafood flavor. Everything's mild seafood flavor because everything is incredibly fresh. Seafood, as you probably know, gets stinky as the uh, fats oxidize. Potato fennel cream soup was another dish that we enjoyed. It was a giant bowl of creamy fennel, with, uh, and of course it had a delicate anise flavor. And the fourth dish was eggplant moussaka, uh, or moussaka, uh, and that was the least inspired, which is ironic since it's probably the most Greek of the four dishes. <clears throat> it was overcooked, mushy, and the meat had no flavor. I was surprised because this is uh, practically the Greek national dish, and I've cooked it many times, and I've always used uh, lamb, ground lamb, not beef, uh, fruity olive oil, oregano, and pine nuts. And this just l really lacked uh, flavors along that line. <clears throat> to accompany the mostly good food, three out of four ain't bad, we drank a local rosé. Julia told me that Apulian rosés were quite, until recently, overpressed and uh, overflavored. But after a market study by uh, modern vintners, it was determined that to be more competitive with world standards along the line of rosés, they needed to apply less pressure to the grapes and press over a longer time in order to achieve a greater subtlety of flavor. And that's what they do, and now Apulian rosés are among the best in Italy. In the Salento Peninsula, there is an annual contest for best Salento rosé called Rosati in Terra di Rosati, Rosés in the Land of Rosés. <clears throat> On Monday, Eve and I did a day in town. We started by taking a long walk to a gluten-free store, Senza Glutine in Italian, 
Uh, to get there, we walked to the Porta Napoli and then followed Via Taranto for maybe a quarter mile. Taranto, by the way, is an old Greek port, which unfortunately we did not get to visit. The store was on the right side of the street. <clears throat> we found fresh tortellini stuffed with prosciutto and made with a corn-based pasta. Uh, it was quite excellent when we got it home and cooked it. We also found some chocolate chip cookies made with the usual mix of non-wheat flours. Uh, and instead of palm oil, they used a blend of sunflower oil and cocoa butter. On the way back, we stopped for coffee in a cafe popular with the locals. Uh, two very good cappuccinos cost three euros. And we each snuck a gluten-free cookie from our basket instead of ordering a pastry. In Italy, home to pasta, bread, and pastries, gluten-free is increasingly in demand as more and more people develop wheat sensitivities due to their daily exposure to an inflammatory protein called omega gliadin that is found in the modern wheat varieties. We continued back on uh, Via Toronto toward Porta Napoli and found a small cheese store selling burrata, mozzarella, and other fresh and briefly aged goat, sheep, or cow cheeses. In the back room, separated from the front room by a glass wall, we saw the owner's son making nodoni, <coughs> which means uh, knots, and they weigh about the same as bocconcini, little mozzarella balls that you may have had which are popular in, in American and European supermarkets. They're made the same way, except that uh, with the nodoni, the cheese curd is uh, stretched and, and then uh, tied into an overhand knot. The owner's son uh, offered us a handful. Um, I found them quite delicious, and I loved the rubbery, squeaky texture on my teeth. In the afternoon, we walked over to the Basilica di Santa Croce, Basilica of the St. Cross, which is considered to be one of the best uh, tourist destinations simply because of the extraordinary sculptures on the outside. I described this in the last podcast, but this time we wanted to go inside. However, all the churches now charge money to enter, um, so <clears throat> we didn't go in because we didn't feel like spending that money. So we walked over to the Giardini Pubblici Giuseppe Garibaldi, as you probably know, Garibaldi was the father, like the George Washington, of Italy, uh, I think in the, about the 1850s or 60s. And uh, all around the garden were pedestals with sculptured heads atop them, and we got to read about 10 famous Italians sitting patiently uh, looking out over the garden. <clears throat> After that, we walked over to the street connecting Porta Napoli with the Duomo, hoping to find a place to have coffee. I ordered two cappuccini and a pasticciotto for us, and when they arrived, a highly aggressive pigeon flew onto our table and proceeded to attack my pastry. He was obviously an old bird, as his feet were quite malformed. Taking pity on him, as I too suffer from malformed feet, and I'm also an old bird, I broke off a small bit of the pastry's crust and gave it to him. Other pigeons, sensing an opportunity, joined us. That was a mistake for me. Wednesday, <clears throat> we spent the day with Juliet and Jem, driving north from Lecce to the beautiful white town of Ostuni, about 20 kilometers north of Brindisi, and perched on a hill separating the Adriatic side of the Salento Peninsula from the Gulf of Toronto, Taranto, T-A-R-A-N-T-O, which is part of the Ionian Sea. That's the gulf between the heel and the rest of the foot. 
Ostuni has been inhabited since the Stone Age, and it is very white because the local stone is a powdery white limestone that is easily ground and made into paint. The whiteness of Ostuni might hurt the eyes, but it is a popular retirement community for expats, mainly British and German, who revel in making everything extremely neat and tidy. Seems to go well with the whiteness, I guess. It's fun to follow the narrow streets and admire the external decorations of their homes. There are also several spots along the eastern edge of the town where one can peer over the walls and admire the landscape that falls away to the Adriatic, only eight kilometers away. We refueled at a local cafe and enjoyed the usual iced coffee and uh, sweetened with almond milk uh, and a cornetto. While cornetto is made with palm oil rather than butter, it was at least baked to a rich brown and topped with a few pieces of crystal and sugar and then filled with maybe just a tablespoon of orange-scented pastry cream. To my way of thinking, it's better not to engorge cornetti with pastry cream. I'm beginning to think that cream fillings are very Italian and they're found in tiramisu, cornetti, pasticciotti, sfogliatelle, and so on. And it becomes a little tiresome. I do appreciate the contrast between crispness and creaminess, however. While we sat there, we also enjoyed some 1940s American jazz. Listening to, listening to American jazz uh, in Italy is uh, both complimentary and sad. Complimentary because it complements American culture, but it's sad because it doesn't really belong there. But I guess it beats the corny music that they might play from old Italian movies. We sat on the shade, uh, in the shade of a mammoth pillar topped with a statue of St. Orontius, Oranzo in Italian, whom I've already talked about, the patron saint of both Lecce and Ostoni. He was born in Rudiai, the former name of Lecce, probably near the Porta Rudiai, where we bought fish uh, the few days before. While walking on a beach near Lecce, we met he, uh, that this is back around 40 A.D., uh, while walking on the beach near Lecce, he met Eustace, who had been sent by St. Paul to carry a letter to the Roman church. Eustace converted Oranzo to Christianity. As a young adult, he replaced his father as Nero's treasurer, but he lost his position when he converted to Christianity. After that, he traveled the Salento Peninsula, making uh, converts and often hiding in caves with other Christians. Eventually, he was caught, decapitated, and his head and body were delivered to um, Lecce uh, and buried under a pillar in the Duomo, the main square. Our hunger and thirst temporarily slaked. We drove southwest from Ostuni toward the Gulf of Toronto, and, or Taranto, and toward our second destination, Gallipoli. The land became flat and open, and farms grew much larger than the tiny plots typically found in the southern part of the Salento Peninsula. For over an hour, we passed olive orchards populated some, by some of the ancient trees so common in that area, part of Italy. At first, we saw only occasional evidence of the devastating Xylella fastidiosa, but the closer we came to Gallipoli, the more dead olive trees dominated the landscape. Gallipoli is a port on the Gulf of Toronto, and uh, like uh, Toronto, it was one of the Greek colonies that lined the Gulf in the years before the Romans conquered the Salento Peninsula. As you enter the Centro Storico, or historic center, you can't help but marvel at the beauty. 
Lots of spots for boats, which, it being February, are still stuck on land. We walked along a seawall and found a restaurant called La Puritan, which means purify her. Not sure who her is, but we did have an excellent meal. We started with antipasti misti, or mixed appetizers, and a bottle of Dona Lisa white made with the Malvasia Bianca grape, one of the grapes grown in that area. Each of the fine antipasti was served on an orange slice. The individual antipasti included raw purple shrimp, gratinade mussels, raw langoustine, they call them scampi, a potato crostini filled with cooked fish, and pulpo, or octopus, in red wine. All five appetizers were fresh and flavorful. I liked the pulpo the best, although after seeing the Netflix movie My Octopus Teacher, I now feel guilty each time I consume uh, the poor mollusk. For the next course, I enjoyed grilled tuna served on a braised cabbage with lemon, olive oil, parsley, and caper berries, the fruit of the caper plant, but unlike the flowers, the fruit is milder in flavor. Another dish we ate uh, had a turmeric sauce with roasted eggplant and swordfish. It was quite excellent. (coughs) And another had linguine with bonito, tomatoes, basil, parsley, and in a reduced crustacean broth. One thing about Italian food is they love to do use broths. They don't use gluey sauces so much, so, which I find very attractive. For dessert, since they were out of everything on the menu but ice cream, I ordered spumoni, which is one of my f- food memories that I had that had to be revived. As a youth, I lived in a Greco-Italian neighborhood in the suburbs of Detroit. And back then, I particularly enjoyed spumoni, which was an almond-flavored ice cream punctuated with candied fruit, raisins, and pistachios. <clears throat> this version of spumoni, however, was quite different. The ice cream, flavored with amaretto, was molded into a hemisphere, at the bottom of which were dried figs and almonds soaked in amaretto. It was quite delicious, but I still prefer the Detroit Sicilian version possibly because I was young and it was new, uh, because it was exuberant in its lack of subtlety, uh, and maybe today I would not like it so much. We left the restaurant at about 3 p.m. and walked along the seawalls around the port. At one point, 11 black cats made a beeline for some trash sitting on a rock. I found out later that every day an old man buys cat food, brings it down to the rocks, opens the can, and sits there, watching the 11 cats. The old man must have stepped away. We entered the center of historic Gallipoli. As we walked through the streets, the concentration of humans increased dramatically, especially children wearing costumes of modern-day heroes such as Superman and Wednesday, the girl from the Adams Family movie. Children threw handfuls of confetti at each other and at the adults, including me. We found a place to sit, and at about 5.30 in the afternoon, we heard a procession making its way up the street. At the front of the procession were a couple drummers, followed by an old woman and a hearse. (coughs) Lying on the hearse was a young man wearing white makeup to look dead, uh, with something bulbous projecting from his mouth. People on the street screamed and cried and shook his body, trying to revive him. This was the day of Carnivale. Every city celebrates its own version. For Gallipoli, the procession of Carnivale commemorates the story of a young soldier, Lu Titoru, 
who goes off to war and returns unscathed. His mother joyously feeds him his favorite meatballs to celebrate his survival. However, he chokes to death on a meatball. Of course, the children at Carnivale don't understand this particularly poignant theme, that life is indeed precious and can be taken away from you at a moment's notice. At 72, the sad irony of this story does not escape me. The next day, Wednesday, was spent in Lecce. In the late morning, we went to the fish market to pick up something for dinner. We then had lunch at a raw fish restaurant called Losteria Ubriaca, which means the drunken oyster. We ordered and shared three dishes, raw langoustine, uh, they call it scampi, um, mixed fried seafood with lightly pickled vegetables, and roasted eggplants and zucchini. On the menu, they advertised it as for those who don't eat fish. And we ordered it because we wanted some vegetables. We finished with one portion of tiramisu, which was mascarpone cream flavored with amaretto and topped with crushed biscotti. However, I prefer the mushy cake version. I find the texture contrast between cream and sharp dried cookies distracting. Langoustine, cannoli, spumoni, tiramisu, and anchovy pizza are all ancient memories for me. Back in 1961, when we lived in Roubaix, a town in northern France, my dad came home one day effusing, I have tasted the most wonderful seafood, langoustines. And from that day in, in 1961 until this day in 2023, I never tasted them. But now I've had them twice, but raw. So I still have yet to have them the way he had them cooked. The Italians call them scampi. In the U.S., where langoustines do not exist, large shrimp have taken the place of scampi. <clears throat> really, the Americans should call them gamberi, which is Italian for shrimp. Here's another ancient memory. Near our home in St. Clair Shores, the Greco-Italian suburb I mentioned, there was a Sicilian bakery that sold cannolis. Ironically, I never tasted those cannolis, which always ended up heaved against some stop sign uh, that kids like to uh, target practice with. Years later, I followed a recipe from the Time Life Cooking of Italy book, and I found it quite excellent. Um, but I have tried hundreds of cannolis since then and have yet to taste a cannoli that was comparable in flavor and texture to the cannolis, my first cannolis that I made myself. One of my favorite students, now uh, who own, now owns a restaurant in Nairobi, Kenya, <coughs> she uh, added tiramisu recipe to the lab manual of the baking class that I taught at Cornell University's hotel school. I have tasted many dozens of tiramisus since then, and I have yet to find a single one that is nearly as good as the one we used to make. <clears throat> I tasted anchovy pizza for the first time in a Greek grocery store just across the street from the Sicilian bakery where I discovered cannolis. Now, I suppose you're thinking, and since then, he hasn't found an anchovy pizza equally good. Ha! Well, surprise, I have. I guess that breaks the pattern. When even I lived in Trumansburg, New York, a bedroom community of Ithaca, we weekly enjoyed anchovy eggplant pizza that greatly exceeded the quality even of the early Greek version. You might ask, where did I come up with the idea of seeking out foods and comparing them to some idealized initial version? 
Well, I would answer that question as follows. During my youth, after my weekly piano lesson, I sat on my piano teacher's couch and read her comic books. In my family, comic books were verboten, so I had developed quite a hunger for them. One of my favorites was Scrooge McDuck, who wandered the world in search for the perfect whatever. Once it was a source of wood for Stradivarius violins. Another time he wandered Scotland for the perfect scone. And ever since, I've been comparing new experiences to old experiences. And 40 years ago, I even wrote an article for the Washington Post food section, back when I wrote a weekly column for them, comparing croissant made at a dozen bakeries in the D.C. area, and I discussed what made one croissant better than another. Now at the age of 72, my search for perfection continues. Well, now back to Chocolate and Project Hope and Fairness. I'm going to talk a little bit about our business that we're starting here in Cord, um, called Le Comptoir du Chocolat, uh, the, the chocolate counter. And uh, we're going to have a big counter and have different chocolates laid out on it. And Damien, and uh, the young man who helps me make chocolate, um, is going to be working with me. And we're going to be using the Soco Plan chocolate that's made in Depa Cote d'Ivoire that I import. And uh, we're going to uh, have four different categories of products. Chocolates, confections, pastries, and cakes. Chocolates will include truffles, crystallized cocoa beans, candied orange peels dipped in chocolate, to name a few. Confections will include uh, cocoa nougatine and penuche. Pastries will include palmiers and chocolate chip cookies. And cakes will include chocolate lemon mousse cake and chocolate raspberry brownies. These are all products that are not sold in Cord, that are not French, but are American or from some other nationality. Um, the palmier is French. Anyway, that's the end of today's podcast. We finish with box prelude number 22 in B-flat minor from the Well-Tempered Clavier. See you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye.